February 17, 2011, in Mayapur, preaching. We're going to listen right now to a recording of the last verses of the 12th chapter of Bhagavad Gita. This was recorded by the late Pornichandra Maharaj. It's called Gitamrita. And what he did was he took the commentary, especially of Vishwana Chakravati Thakur, and to some extent Baladev Vijabhushana, and he wove them into the verses. So you, therefore you will not hear exactly Srila Prabhupada's translations, but you'll hear a mixture of Prabhupada's translations mixed with Prabhupada's purports and the purports of the Acharyas. So here we're looking at the qualities of devotees as given in the 12th chapter. Krishna, what are the qualities of one who has obtained that peace through devotional service? One is not envious, but is a kind friend to all living beings. There is no sense of proprietorship or false ego in such a person, Arjun. One is equal in both happiness and distress, tolerant, always satisfied, self-controlled, and engaged in devotional service with determination. Such a devotee is very dear to me. He has these good qualities because his mind is surrendered to me. That devotee is not disturbed by anyone and never puts others into difficulty. He is equipoised in happiness, distress, in fear or anxiety. My devotee is not dependent on the ordinary course of activities, who is pure, expert in philosophy, who does not take sides and does not feel disturbed even when disrespected by others, is very dear to me. One who does not become elated if he gets a son or a disciple, who neither laments nor desires, and who renounces both auspicious and inauspicious things, is very dear to me. One who is equal to friends and enemies, who is equipoised in honor and dishonor, heat and cold, fame and infamy, who is always free from contaminating association, who is always silent and satisfied with anything, who is not attached to his residence, who is fixed in knowledge and engaged in devotional service, is very dear to me. These qualities are born from devotion, not from the mode of goodness. If someone has even one of these qualities, he is dear to me. Beginners who are aspiring for these qualities are better than the perfected ones on other paths. Devotees who follow sadhana are dear to me, but those who have these qualities are very dear to me. Those who follow this imperishable path of devotional service and who completely engage themselves with faith, making me the supreme goal, are very, very dear to me. Hope you like that. Okay, so we're going to go on to our second lesson, which is about preaching. So what we covered in the first lesson was sort of Krishna consciousness at home. How do I deal with my devotee family, with the other Vaishnavas? And now it's how do I deal with the outsiders? How do I deal with people who are not devotees? with the people outside of all of our circles. So we took care of all these circles. 
And now the question is how do I deal with these people? And of course, these people are in two basic categories. Anybody know what two basic categories are in? Favorable, unfavorable, okay. Ignorant and envious. Ignorant and envious. Okay. So people who are innocent and ignorant and people who are actually unfavorable, demoniac. I was once at the, uh, on the Poland tour that did you do the Swami goes on? Where they do a big festival in Poland. And one of the festivals is called Woodstock where they have a lot of young, mostly young people there. Uh, playing a lot of music and as we were taking around our rat cart there were some people playing this music that didn't sound like music it sounded like wolves and tigers <laughs> so there are people who are actively demoniac and then people who are innocent and favorable Ravinda Superbu tells the story that one time he went, was traveling with Tamal Krishnamaraj and Vishnu Janan Swami a little bit and he's asked them, he asked Tamal Krishnamaraj how do you decide who to preach to? And Tamal Krishnamaraj said, well we have our kirtan, we distribute prasadam and then I see who's interested I go around and say, Did you, what do you think of the music? What do you think of the food? And if they liked it, then I'll preach to them if they don't, I won't so Ravindra Bruce said he decided to test this. So they had their, their bhajan and they distributed their prasadam and he went around, do you like the music, what do you think of the food? And one guy said, it's okay. So Ravindra Bruce sat down and preached to him for about an hour. And at the end, he said, very nice philosophy, but I'm not interested. <laughs> so we do discriminate who has some interest. Who has who's favorable? My daughter was just saying to me how, when my father died, that uh, as soon as we, we found out that he had died, she called and one of the relatives answered the phone, and my daughter said, "Is Grandpa still there? Can I see him?" And she said, "The relative, the non-devotee relative, said, well, he's not here, but if you want to come see the body, you're welcome to.'" Then the next day at the funeral, the same relative was saying, at the end, all we are is dirt. <laughs> so one day she could understand that we're not this body, and the next day she couldn't understand it at all. So this is the general principle among especially people who are unfavorable. That the, it doesn't stay. Even if they get a little insight, it, doesn't, it, it kind of floats away. Kamsa was like this, right? He felt sorry for killing all the babies. He apologized to Vasudev and Devaki. And then the next day, he talks to his demon friends and he wants to kill all the babies. And he forgets all of his good insight. What we're going to focus on here is very exciting. We're going to focus on here that by preaching, by helping other people, to come to Krishna consciousness, we can develop all those wonderful qualities we just heard Krishna explain to Arjuna. 
So there's three places in the Bhagavad Gita where Krishna explains, three main places, the qualities of a, of a devotee. One is there at the end of the 12th chapter. Does anyone know where the other two places are? There. Okay, divine nature. So then more than two. The divine nature isn't specifically explaining Vaishnavas, but those who are pious. Of course, Vaishnavas are pious, but the divine nature is a bigger group than just the Vaishnavas. The other two places are in response to Arjuna asking, what are the symptoms? Where does Arjuna ask that? Yeah, in the second chapter. What are the symptoms? And where else? Somewhere near the end of Bhagavad Gita. Well, that's really the end, but no. Good guess. 14, 14 chapter. Krishna describes the modes of nature, and Arjuna says, what's the symptoms of someone who's transcended the modes of nature? So in the second chapter, so the end of the second chapter, in the 14th chapter, near the end of the 14th chapter, and the end of the 12th chapter, are the descriptions of the qualities of devotees. Of course, there's also the 26 qualities of devotees, which is explained by Lord Kapila Dev, also by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. But here we have general descriptions, and you'll find that those general descriptions, by the way, it's really good to know where those descriptions are. First of all, if you want to assess yourself, which is a good idea every once in a while. How am I developing these qualities? And also to decide, again, with whom to associate. So if I'm going to decide, you know, who's a devotee with whom I should associate, I want to, if I see you, then I can't see him, then I'm going to look at those lists of qualities. And the essential feature you'll find is this being equiposed, being neutral, not being affected by honor, dishonor, gain, loss, heat, cold, happiness, distress. Being, being materially neutral. And one of the ways to develop that... Now, why would we want to develop that? Why would we care about being materially neutral? Why would we even want to be neutral? Who cares? Why does it matter? To be peaceful, to be able to practice devotional service. Yeah, you couldn't be peaceful otherwise. And Krishna says, beginning of Bhagavad Gita, how can there be any happiness without peace? Can you be happy if you're disturbed? Impossible. Can you enjoy something when you're disturbed? No. No. If, if your plane's going to take off in five minutes, how much can you sit down and eat your prasadam in the airport? <laughs> you know, it's hard. Am I going to have time to eat this before they call me for the plane? Right? Or if somebody's angry with you? You can't even have material enjoyment. You can't even enjoy some good food or a beautiful weather. Palm trees waving in the wind, and if someone that you care about is angry with you, or you're angry with somebody, or you're afraid of something, or you owe somebody money, without peace, you can't have happiness even when there's sense pleasure. 
sun shining and the breeze is blowing and your favorite prasadam is in front of you. If you're in anxiety, you can't enjoy it. What to speak of spiritual happiness? You can't even get material happiness. Is it? You can't. So to be peaceful, and the only way to be peaceful, how do the non-devotees think they're going to find peace? To surround themselves with things that will give pleasure to their senses and mind and to get rid of all the suffering. So the materialistic idea is I'm, I'm the controller. I'm the controller. I'm the doer. And I'm going to arrange my life so that only things I like will be around me and the things I don't like will be far away. And once I do that, then I'll be peaceful. Does it work? Why doesn't it work? What's the problem with that? Okay. Well, so that's, that's, that's not the problem. Inner things. Can you even do it on the outer level? Can you do it? for a little while maybe very temporarily very temporary it's not sustainable so you get the perfect house and the perfect car and the perfect husband (laughs) the perfect kids and the perfect stove and the perfect saris and and it doesn't last your toilet overflows your husband yells at you your child breaks something, your sorry gets a rip in it, isn't it? And all of a sudden, it's not perfect anymore, and then you try to make it perfect again. I'll yell at my husband back, and I'll fix him. You know, I'll buy a new sorry, I'll call the stove repairman, and then it's something else. Then some other lady in the community is saying nasty things about you, and your friend calls you and says, you know what they're saying about you over there? And then you have to worry about that, and you find out that your washing machine is broken, and it's going to cost 3,000 pounds to fix it, and you don't have the money. And Then you fix all those things, and then something else happens, and something else happens. And so we're always thinking, in the future, I will get to a point where I'll arrange everything. And I see this is done in Krishna consciousness also. So someone thinks, if I just go to Mayapur and take the Bhakti Shastri class, then, you know, if I just get a place in Mayapur. So the materialists are thinking, if I just get a place, you know, in Florida, or in Hawaii, or something like that, And the spiritual, you know, the the neophyte devotee thinks if I just buy a house in Vrindavan and I put up lots of pictures of Krishna on the wall, (laughs) that then I'll be peaceful. So that's not the way. I'm sorry, it doesn't work. How do we become peaceful? It's by not caring about the externals. The way to be peaceful is that our happiness and our spiritual life also is not dependent on the externals. Oh, of course. It's easier to be materially happy if you're healthy and you have nice food. And it's easier to think of Krishna when you're in Mayapur and you have pictures of Krishna on the wall. 
But if you're dependent on that for your happiness or your spiritual life, or you're attached to that for your happiness or your spiritual life, you're not going to be peaceful. If, if in order to be Krishna conscious, you have to have a house in Mayapur with nice pictures on the wall, you won't be peaceful because you could always lose your house. There could be a flood. There could be a fire. There could be a thief. The room where I'm staying, they have a sign on the wall. Use your own lock. <laughs> I thought this means the people who work here are thieves. You understand? If I have to replace the lock with my own lock, so the people who work in the guest house are thieves. That's pretty scary. Oh, no, that also means that <laughs> Indian people, they know how to open the lock. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. It was a little scary. Make sure when you're taking a bath, your door is locked. <laughs> But so this is our problem. If I'm thinking I have to have a house in Mayapur to be Krishna conscious, then I can't be peaceful. Prahlad Maharaj didn't have a house in Mayapur, and he was Krishna conscious. I understand that in the long term, you shouldn't have to surround yourself with things to help you focus your mind and to help you do these different things. But... In one sense, I feel like we're taught to arrange our external situations to, to, to be like the most conducive to spiritual life. So I know it's not absolutely perfect, but like we're taught um, As a control, fact. Your, control your association. Or like, That's absolutely a fact. So is, it, is it good to focus on it? Obviously not over-endeavor, but focus on My it own initially? Ormula's suggestion is... Spend 10% of your energy on your externals and 90% of your energy on, your, on being Krishna conscious, whatever your externals are. So, uh, certainly, if you can get a house in Mayapur, if you can get a picture of Krishna to put on your wall, then why not? You're not going to say, well, I'm not going to put a picture of Krishna on my wall. I mean, if you, can, if you have the, whatever, 100 rupees to buy a picture of Krishna and put it on your wall, why not do that? But if you're, if you're thinking that my Krishna consciousness is dependent on my externals, you won't be peaceful. And nor will you be Krishna conscious. You'll be external conscious. So it's a, it's a fine line. You know, we really have to practice on being Krishna conscious in any situation. And that's why, what we're going to look at now, preaching is so helpful to develop that quality of being equipoised. Because preaching is not a nice situation for your Krishna consciousness. You're with non-devotees. Right? Maybe, yeah? Maybe in the beginning you need to arrange more about the, the external thing, but when you are fixed, You should try from the very beginning to become fixed regardless of your externals. Now, the advanced devotee also likes to have nice externals. It's what? Is it accessory? Um, not really. For the advanced devotees, it's much more how they're trying to express their love for Krishna. And the, the advanced devotees, they're hankering to live in Vrindavan. 
and they want to be surrounded by Tulsi plants and the river Jamuna, but not because they're dependent on that for their Krishna consciousness, but because they know Krishna loves it, and therefore it's just their way of expressing love. So that's on a very different level. The advanced devotee is not thinking like the materialist is thinking, I have to have a red Mercedes Benz to be happy. I have to have a handsome husband to be happy. You know, I have to have a silk sari from Marissa with a gold border to be happy. So, you know, when the devotee thinks, I have to have this picture of Krishna on my wall, I have to live here, I have to go to this temple, and it really is the same thing. But the advanced devotee isn't thinking like that at all. The advanced devotee is thinking, oh, Krishna likes this, Krishna, and I like Krishna so much. And Krishna likes this, and Krishna likes this, and Krishna likes this. So it's a very different level. But even in the very beginning, we shouldn't be dependent. I mean, when Srila Prabhupada started ISKCON, we were mostly out of the temples, out on the streets, preaching to the non-devotees, being insulted, being neglected. And you develop this quality of being equipoised by going out and preaching. You have to, or else you go crazy. Right? So that's what we're going to look at here. <coughs> so first, I'm sure you're familiar with these quotes, that the, the preacher is very dear to Krishna. And if you want to become dear to Krishna fast, be a preacher. Actually, I don't have it here in this PowerPoint, but Prabhupada says, if you want to be very quickly recognized by Krishna, we like to say, don't try to see God. Act in such a way that God will want to see you. You preach. Why? Because what does Krishna really want? Pacham, pushpam, palam, toyam. He really wants flowers and fruits. You know what he really wants? What does he want more than fruits and flowers? Yeah, but what, what offering? What do we want to offer Krishna that he just really wants? Yes, yes, yes. I'm talking about preaching. Other, other, souls other souls, yeah. He's got lots of flowers and fruits and galopa. <laughs> He's got lots of love, too. But he doesn't have the love from the rebellious living entities. And for their sake, that's what he wants. So what Krishna wants the most is that those who are in rebellion and who are suffering are brought back to their real happiness. So therefore, one who preaches is the most dear to Krishna. No, there's, that's the dearest servant. So here is why preaching helps one develop these qualities that bring us peace. Because you become sometimes defeated. Sometimes you try to preach and it's a failure. And if you're not equipoised, you can't do it. You have to go out and preach. And if someone says, oh, thank you, I've been wanting this Bhagavad Gita my whole life. Or if someone goes, you scum. You have to be able to remain steady in both. If you distribute 100 books in one day, or you come back and you've distributed no books in one day, you have to be able to be steady in both. I was giving this example to one friend of mine that dealing with her husband. 
I said, really, your happiness shouldn't come from whether or not your husband is happy with you, but whether or not Krishna is happy with you. You're not trying to please your husband. You're trying to please Krishna. And you'll never absolutely please your husband. One day you'll make lasagna and he'll be very happy. And the next day you'll make the same lasagna and he won't be happy. That's just the way it is. And then she looked at me and she said, Oh, like book distribution. I said, Yes, exactly like that. That some days you distribute a hundred books and some days you distribute zero. Some days everybody says, Oh, yes, this is wonderful. Yes, I want to surrender Krishna. Surrender to Krishna. And other days, nobody's interested. And you have to remain equal poised. And the preacher has to go to places where there aren't devotees. <laughs> Otherwise, how are they preaching? You've got to go where there isn't good association, where there isn't already a temple, where there aren't pictures of Krishna, where there's not delicious prasadam, where you're cooking kitri in the back of your van. Right? And now, I was yeah, sure. Um, you, you told me so much about being equal twice, but um, I know all of we not able to develop this quantity, no matter how hard we Oh, so I was hoping somebody would ask this question. Well, let's go back. Okay. So she's saying that we can't develop this quality on our own. So how do we develop good qualities? By who being pleased with us? Guru and Krishna, well, guess what? Preaching is also the best way to have Krishna be happy with. Isn't that nice? Yes. And then it's also because you need to be equipoised and peaceful to be an effective preacher. And because Krishna is your company president. See, we have this product called love. We all work for the love company, the Prema company. Our company president is Krishna. And we're the employees. And our job is to go out and sell this love. Convince people. They have to pay a little price. They have to give up their sense gratification. So we have to convince people, give up being selfish, and buy this love of God. So in an ordinary company... If you're going to sell something, your company president gives you everything you need to make the sale. They give you the vehicle. They give you all the nice propaganda to convince people to buy the product. You understand? So Krishna also will give you what you need. And if you want to preach, Krishna will give you intelligence. It's amazing. Krishna gives you the intelligence. He gives you the knowledge. He just tells you what to say. It is so amazing. You get this sweet reciprocation with Krishna. And he gives you the qualities you need. If you depend on him. He gives you that ability to be equal poised. If you have this mood that Krishna, I'm depending on you. Yeah. Okay, so now we're looking at these qualities. 
Preaching is the greatest exhibition of being non-envious. Because if I'm envious, I don't want you to have what I have. If I have a really nice house, I don't want you to have a house that's as nice or nicer. I want you to have a house that's a little less nice than mine. If I have beautiful clothes, I want you to have clothes that are a little less beautiful than mine. I want your children to be not quite as cute and as smart as mine. Right? But non-envious is that I want everyone to have as much or more than I have. So preaching is, helps develop a non-envious mentality that I really want to share Krishna with others. And when in preaching we suffer, we're thinking, you know, it's just due to this person's own ignorance and my own past misdeeds. This is also the same with other devotees, whoever seems to be the agent of our suffering. And Prabhupada talks about his own coming to America, how neutral he had to be, how unaffected. I don't think that we can imagine what it's like, what it would be like to go at 70 years old anywhere. <laughs> I like to speak of to a foreign country with no money and basically no contact. So one has to be neutral. Whatever Krishna sends, I accept. Detach from your residence. Wherever Krishna wants me to live. We'll get to this more in the, in the third lesson. All right, now that we've looked a little bit at our, our qualities, we're going to look very briefly at to whom we should preach. So interestingly enough, the highest preaching is preaching to other devotees, not going out to the non-devotees, but enlivening each other. To have the satisfaction and happiness of enlivening the other devotees. Isn't that their highest? That is the highest thing. But the devotees, Prabhupada says here, will even go to the demons. Although Krishna is saying, just preach to the devotees. The devotees are so kind. They'll even go to the demons. Therefore, Prabhupada says here that the devotees are more merciful than Krishna. This also has to do with Krishna's relationship with the jivas. Krishna's relationship with the fallen souls is one of neutrality. He doesn't force you want to come back? Fine. You don't want to come back? Fine. I'm waiting for you. He's not going to force. But although Krishna apparently has that mood, the devotees know that that's not really Krishna's heart. I have one devotee friend whose son is addicted to heroin. And she has to say to him, you know, 
you can come home when you're sober. Because if he comes home intoxicated, he steals, he breaks things. So she can't let him in the house. And she has to say, do you want to come home? Fine. You don't want to come home? Fine. It's up to you. But in her heart, what does she want? She wants him to come home. So Krishna, in his heart, he's wanting all the rebellious living entities to come home. But he's not going to force, and he's not going to, to bring us home just to break things. But the devotees, they know that, so they run after them. But Krishna's not going to run after the rebellious living entities. But in his heart, he wants them. So therefore, the devotees are trying to please Krishna. is explained very nicely by Vishwanath Chakravati Thakur in Madhurya Kadambini which if you haven't read it it's a very small book maybe half a centimeter thick and I, w- I would really suggest reading that book if you haven't already done so Madhurya Kadambini and in the, uh, inter- in the beginning part of that book Vishnu Chagavadi Thakur deals with the question of why do some living entities get bhakti and some don't? And he says that bhakti is causeless. It doesn't, there's no material cause. It's not that a person is pious or a person is sinful. There's nothing really you can do in, in one sense. And then he talks about how Krishna is neutral. He said, but the devotees, they go out and they try to give bhakti. And if somebody responds, then Krishna, then that devotee gives that person bhakti and then Krishna's bhakti flows through the devotee. So the cause of our taking up bhakti is the bhakti of a devotee like Srila Prabhupada. Because Srila Prabhupada loves Krishna, therefore he wants to go out and give Krishna. And if I respond, if the devotee comes and says, here, would you like Krishna? And I say, yeah, I think I would. Then Krishna's mercy flows through that devotee. So the cause of bhakti is bhakti. It's the love of the devotee who's willing to go out and preach that causes someone to take up bhakti. You could say, well, it's the response of the person, but they're responding the, the initiating, the beginning action is done by the devotee. Does this all make sense to you? Are you following this? So if the devotees don't go into the world and offer bhakti, there's no opportunity to respond. Because Krishna himself isn't doing that. I mean, as Lord Nityananda, yes. But generally, no. And Lord Nityananda is really the original. Is Krishna in the form of the original guru? He's in the mood of a devotee. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is in the mood of a devotee. But generally, Krishna, when Krishna's in his own mood, he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He doesn't go around saying, would you please come home? Would you please come home? I miss you so much. He doesn't do it. He's neutral. He says, you know, you, you wanted your freedom. You have your freedom. That's it. 
And how could that interest arise in us? But the devotees go out and say, hey, you there, are you happy? Might there be something more? Have you ever thought about who you are? What's life? Is there a God? And if we say, well, yeah, I have. Oh, okay, take this cookie, take this book. And then Krishna's mercy comes. So you might say, well, what's the use of going to people who are not devoted? Is there any scriptural basis for preaching to those who are not already devotees? And yes, here in the 13th chapter, Krishna is saying that ordinary persons just by hearing. And there's a lot in this purport, 1326, about Prabhupada's mission and why there's ISKCON. Okay, we're not going to do that now. So the whole focus of ISKCON is give anyone a chance to come. Give anyone a chance to hear. Give anyone a chance to have that experience. And here Prabhupada's talking about fighting for the center in in Mumbai, in Bombay, the Juhu Center. So why did he take so much trouble? Prabhupada speaking about how Rupa Goswami and all the acharyas they don't feel that they're fit which is the point you were making that we don't think oh I'm a great preacher because I know so much but I'm offering myself to Krishna as a preacher I'm not fit I don't have any ability to preach and yet I'm saying to Krishna okay I'm available I want to just talk briefly before we end this session about preaching of looking at the um, the offense on chanting that says one should not preach the glories of the holy name to them. And these are the faithless. So that we shouldn't preach to the faithless and also this relates to the austerities of speech as given in the Bhagavad Gita. So does anybody remember the austerities of speech? <coughs> okay, they is. So based on the digits, what were the other ones? Truthful. Other ones? Um, okay, beneficial. Not agitated. 
to others. And one more. That's true. That's this. But close. Please. So this means the words. And this means the message. So the message is nice. The words I use for the message is nice. It actually helps somebody. It's the truth. And it's based on the Vedas. So message is nice means I don't say to you, oh, you're so fat now. Okay, that's not a pleasing message. But I can say that in, in perhaps in nice words. Oh, I see that um, your, your body is now five times as big as it was last time I saw you. And um, <laughs> you really look sort of uh, distasteful. So I could use pleasing words to give a nasty message. You understand the difference? Yeah. Do you understand the difference? And agitating others are the words, like in modern society, people use a lot of what we call curse words. Like diplomacy? Yes. yes. But this is the actual words. So just like people use, do um, you understand curse words, swear words, nasty yes. words? I don't want to give an example. <laughs> you all understand what we mean by that? Usually those are words having to do with like toilet and sex and things like that. Nasty words. And this is the actual message. This is if it's true and this is if it helps people. So any ideas as to which of these is the most important? Most people say truthfully first. Right, so it has to help you. If it's true, but it doesn't help you, that's not proper speech. So this is the same idea of preaching to people at their level. If I preach to you at a level that's too high or too low, then I don't help you. In fact, it can even be harmful. Yes? Not 
and, it's, and if I say something that's not pleasing and I say it in a harsh way, <laughs> that's really bad. And it doesn't help you. So how, how do I know? How do I know what my motive is? It's actually a very simple answer to this. How do I know whether I'm trying to help you or whether I'm just trying to overlord you? Well, okay, but how are you going to figure that out? Because, you know what, I've met a lot of people who thought that they were trying to help and they weren't. And I often have thought I was trying to help and I wasn't. And later on I saw I wasn't trying to help, I was just being proud. Mm -hmm. You can reveal your mind. Sometimes it's not time to do that. That's always a good idea. Praying to Krishna is always a good idea. Just to see inside, do you um, do you feel somehow agitated that the person do something wrong? You just feel compassion to this. It's usually like that, but sometimes if you really love someone, you may also feel agitated. Yeah. When my son was nine years old and he couldn't swim. And he, he took the inflatable boat from under our deck and went with a friend of his across the street into the river without our knowledge. And the river led to a waterfall. Are you all understanding what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. There was a river and it led to a waterfall. Okay? And we had a little boat that you could blow up, you know, mm -hmm. pump up with air mm -hmm. under the deck. He was nine years old and his friend was visiting. And his friend said, let's go in the boat. They took the boat and they inflated it. We thought they were just playing outside. We look outside and we're, they were gone. And then we saw the boats gone. And, I, and he didn't know how to swim. And there was a waterfall. He was nine years old. Was I just compassionate or was I agitated? agitated. I was agitated. Do you think I just spoke pleasing words? No, not at all. Was I angry? I was very angry. But it was love. I really didn't want him to crack his head open on the waterfall. How to distinguish them. You understand? So there are cases where you're out of compassion and out of love. You may be very disturbed. And you may even speak harshly. So it's, that's a hard... You may be very... I was very disturbed. I wasn't just like, oh, don't go in the boat. <laughs> I didn't do that. Yeah? Based on your relationship. Thank you. What is your relationship? What's your relationship? This has to do with how well you know the other person. So a lot of being able to speak in a way that's beneficial is taking the time to know the other person. And, and knowing what your relationship is. Just like some of you here in this room I've met before. Some of you I know just a little, I've seen your face. Some of you I've spoken to a little bit. Some of you I've stayed at your house. And some of you I don't know at all. I don't even know your name. So when I'm speaking in this group, I have to be extremely careful. Because I don't have a tight relationship with each of you. Does that make sense to you? I have to be very careful. Now one thing is when speaking to a group... 
I can if I say something that that doesn't work for one of you, it's a little bit easier because you can just think, well, she's not talking to me. Does that make sense? If I say, look, you have to do this, you have to do this, and this is really important, and you can just think, oh, that doesn't have anything to do with me. She's talking to the other lady over there. <laughs> so you can sometimes say very strong things in a group that you can't say just to an individual. But if I'm talking to you as an individual, then I need to know something about you. I had a very interesting experience just recently where one devotee came to one of my Bhagavad Gita classes and she was obviously at least 40 years old. She was somewhere between 40 and 60. And she did not appear to be married. She said to me, why does, the, does Prabhupada and the Shastra really emphasize that women should be married? So I didn't really know this woman. And I thought, oh, this is somebody who's never been married. And people are telling her that she should be married. And now she's older. And she's worried that people are criticizing her. I made up this whole story in my mind. And it wasn't true at all. So I started talking to her. But what I said was not beneficial. It was not appropriate. Because that wasn't her situation. Her situation was she'd been married for a long time and her husband had left her and gone with another woman. And she was wondering, is it okay now to just be renounced or should I look for another husband? That was her question. And I'd I'd misinterpreted who she was. So I wasn't able to speak anything that benefited her. You all follow me? In order to benefit somebody, I have to know something about them. I have to know who they are, what's their situation, what they need, what their level of Krishna consciousness is. I'm going to give very different instructions to somebody who's been chanting for one day and someone who's been chanting for, you know, ten years. Yes. Definitely. But I don't see how you can feel much love for someone if you don't take the time to get to know something about them. I mean, I can give general instructions to anybody. Chant Hare Krishna, offer your food to Krishna, read the Bhagavad Gita, that's fine. But even then, if someone's just angry at that, then just don't do it. But this is the communication important in such a Absolutely. Absolutely. So this as preachers, if we also want to develop these devotional qualities, we need to think of relationship. Yes? But how do you manage uh, when you're in the street to know others? Because you don't know others. You know, it's really interesting. When I, when I used to do book distribution a lot, I saw that the empowered distributors would be able to understand something about somebody in a few seconds. It was pretty amazing. If you think, I know, I'm intelligent, I'm the preacher, forget it. And if you're like, Krishna, help me, Krishna, help me, Krishna, help me, Krishna, help me, Krishna, help me. You're the super soul. You're in their heart, you're in my heart. You help me to say what's appropriate. And then it it becomes a beautiful thing because you really feel how Krishna is working with you. Mm -hmm. it's, It's an amazing experience.
Yeah. I remember feeling that way at seven years old when we'd go on the winter marathon. Um, I was immediately attracted to the beautiful women that were nicely dressed, but they were the hardest ones to <laughs> even at that young age. And I remember thinking of the ones that were just like simple and even sometimes scary looking homeless. They were the most reciprocal, like with me as a child. And I remember thinking, wow, it's not always what they look like. That's right. You feel out mm. the situation. That's right. And you and, and people can fool you. We were talking in the last session about not judging based on the body. I, I've been astonished at who are the serious devotees, who are the receptive people. It's not always who you think. Mm-hmm. Just isn't. Sometimes, you know, the, the big people with the big profile and the adoring followers are not really so advanced. And the pot washer is. And the, and, um, you're from London, so you, there, there's this devotee in London who uh, he has a very interesting story. He's second generation devotee, and he ended up his parents before they joined the movement they were Jewish, and he went to school in Brazil, and there was no high school for the devotee kids, so his non-devotee Jewish relatives paid for him to go to a Jewish secondary school and a Jewish university. And he learned to become a Jewish rabbi. You all know what a rabbi is? Like a priest. And so he was trained in Hebrew and he was trained in the Jewish scriptures. So he got a job. He actually got ordained as a rabbi and he got a job teaching in a Jewish university and he teaches Jewish scriptures. But he's also a second initiated practicing devotee. Now, because of his work, he looks like a Jewish rabbi. He's got the beard and the side things and the whole thing. And so, very interesting. Not very many people like that. But so I saw him at the temple, and I thought, oh, this is interesting. You don't usually see some very religious Jew coming coming to a Hare Krishna temple. And, you know, I had this thing in my head again about who this person was. And once I met him, I was very surprised at at who he was and what kind of a person he was and what kind of a devotee he he is. A wonderful devotee. So You can't always tell. You really can't always tell. It's not usually that extreme. But you, you, you can't always tell. It, it, it takes time, and therefore, in order to preach in a way, in order to have relationships in a way that are beneficial, we have to have a relationship. Based on relationship, what's my relationship to this person? Is this person interested in hearing? Are they interested in hearing from me? Are they interested in hearing from me now? It depends on the messages and other religious practices as in a sense the same? Are what? That means that the message from other religious practices is, is also the development of your rapport God? Because I don't think he was lying when he was teaching about it, or he was in some way. You would have to talk to him. <laughs> I don't want to speak for him. Uh, I've also met, there's one Catholic monk in Australia who's an initiated devotee. But he was a Catholic monk first, and then he became initiated, but he stayed in the monastery. There is a he came and talked to our Gurukul students 
It was the quietest and best behaved I've ever seen our group of students there. And I've also met a Protestant minister who's initiated devotee and who's still a Protestant minister. But I, I don't want to speak for them or their traditions. They, they would have to speak for themselves. I would say the essence of all religion is the same, but it may be packaged very differently. Package is often very different. But the point I'm trying to make is more that in order to have preaching that's beneficial and speaking that's beneficial, you have to have, you have to know something about the other person, have a relationship. At the at least the other person has to be willing to hear, and they have to be willing to hear from you, and they have to be willing to hear from you now, and they have to be willing to hear from you now about that particular subject. Mm-hmm. And just because someone isn't willing to hear from you doesn't mean they're not willing to hear by the way. So somebody might not be willing to hear something from me, and maybe they'd be willing to hear it from you, even though it's exactly the same thing, because we have a different relationship. And if I try to force somebody to hear something from me now that they don't want to hear, then it's not beneficial. It's pride. So I think what you said about looking in the heart is it compassion or agitation? I'd say if you look in the heart and see, is it, is it pride? Do I feel pride? Do I have the mood that I know something that you don't know and I am going to tell you and fix you? <laughs> that 99.999% chance it's not beneficial. And you shouldn't be preaching in that mood to that person. That that's, we are a messenger. I'm not trying to fix anybody. I'm not trying to fix my husband, my children, my mother, my father, my brother, the demon down the street. I'm just Krishna's instrument. I'm just Krishna's messenger. I'm delivering a message from our beloved Krishna for you if you are at home to receive it. Yes? How to see it in ourselves, that it's private, but not. You know, I think you, I, I have found that if you look at the relationship, that that will that that's I have found that to be enough for me. If I look at the relationship and I really try to look and see, do I know what's going on? And is the person really open to hearing from me? Also, there's a certain feeling when you're trying to force things. There, there's there's a feeling about force. My my father always told me don't force. He was talking about um, things. Like if you have some machine, he said, don't force it, you'll break it. (laughs) He always said, don't force. And I'm learning that that's true about living beings, too. (laughs) Don't force it. So if if you feel that force thing, try to be sensitive and see, is the other person open? I mean, one thing that I, you know, you can sometimes try. You can try to say something. I was talking to one lady whose husband had, had left her to become a renunciate, and she was just devastated. So first, you know, I I was trying to tell her the reason you're devastated is because of your own attachment, which was true. But she became very upset. So the whole problem was my attachment. It wasn't him. He's the one who did this, and he's the one. And I thought, okay, this is not working. She's not willing to hear this. I thought it's true, but today she's not willing to hear it, or she's not willing to hear it from me, or whatever. And so I stopped. 
But if you're forcing, then you keep, the person is not willing to hear, but this, 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 and you push it, you try to push it through. And I just, I said, you know what, Krishna loves you. This is now whatever I say, this is my mantra. Whenever, whenever I'm not able to, to say, you know, because sometimes you can see somebody and you can see, wow, this is what they need to hear. By the way, sometimes we're wrong, but anyway. See? <laughs> This is what they need to hear, and this is what they need to hear now, but they're not, they're just, the door's not open. It's not, you know, you're trying to deliver your package and nobody's answering the door. <laughs> so the, the package I found I can almost always deliver is, you know, Krishna loves you and it'll all be okay. I don't believe that. It really will. It'll just all be okay. <laughs> just, just keep chanting, and Krishna loves you. I don't know if Krishna loves me. Yeah, I know. It's really hard, but it'll just be okay. And I just leave it at that. And I found if I can't go anyplace else, I'll just, you know, go there. But what I'm seeing is any time that I'm forcing, that if I get resistance, heavy resistance from somebody, if I keep forcing, then it's pride. I know more than you. I know how to fix you. I know what your problems are. Prasadam is usually a good one too. <coughs> another one, another good one with devotees is just giving them something to read. If they're really angry, that won't work either. Yeah. But <coughs> hey, I found this really nice quote. I've often found, you know, just let Prabhupada do the preaching. Give them some prasad or just just be friendly. Just be friendly. But these are, these are what I'm learning over the years. And I made so many mistakes of trying to force things. And I still do it if I'm not careful. Of trying to force so-called my realization and my understanding on somebody else. Which is then, then you don't develop any good qualities as, as a preacher. Then you just develop pride and arrogance. But if you, if you follow these austerities of speech and you follow the, the avoid the offense of preaching to the faithless, then Krishna is very pleased with you and the good qualities of a preacher will develop in you. And really, preaching is the fastest way, the fastest way to develop the good qualities that will lead to peace and happiness and will help us advance in Krishna consciousness. It, it forces you in a position where you have to depend on Krishna. It forces you into a position where you have to be equipoised and humble, or else you go crazy. When you're preaching, your choices are, you know, depend on Krishna, develop neutrality, or else become very angry, or else go crazy, or give up the service. You know, there are certain services that just demand, being a mother is, is another one like that. They just demand that you develop patience and tolerance and compassion. You have to. So there's, there's certain services that just push you in that, strongly in that direction. The only way that you cannot develop good qualities is to quit, you know, give your baby to somebody else, or don't distribute books anymore, or, be, or just be very angry and frustrated and bitter. But your, your only door to happiness is just Krishna, help me. All right, so I think we'll take just a brief break, just to 1.30, and then we're going to do our last session, 1.30 according to that clock, and then we'll do our last session on surrender.
Has this been okay? We're not going too fast? It's all right? Pace is okay? Okay, see you in about seven minutes.